everybody. Welcome to episode eight of Wake Up Call. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about climate justice and how to organize it. And we're actually going to be talking to Rebecca Hamilton, a fellow McGill student and uh, someone that was heavily involved in the organization of the 2019 Vancouver climate protest. Um, of course, climate is a topic that is becoming top of mind for many people all over the world. Uh, especially in Pakistan, where we saw, of course, catastrophic flooding, heat waves in China, wildfires in Italy, Australia, droughts happening all over the world. We're seeing countries restricting the use of water. I mean, climate change is, is really starting to hit. This is this is the thing that we've all sort of been told is going to happen, actually happening. And that's quite a, a disconcerting feeling. Yeah, for sure. I like always feel when we're talking about the climate that we're literally like characters in the movie don't look up because people are being told persistently this is an issue. There are a couple of ways to solve this issue and there's just no steps taken and we're acting like it doesn't concern us until it actually does. Like it's crazy that even in the Western world, countries are literally restricting drinking water climate disasters are happening in Italy, right? So this is very quickly going to affect all of us. And if we don't take action today, it will be a big problem. I mean, climate treaties, I think, are way too moderate. They're not coercive enough. We're way behind the climate, uh, the, the Paris Climate Agreement. We're way behind the UN SDGs. Many policies overall don't work. If we look at what the European Union is doing, we see that European food companies break their own food plastic promises, green labels are not very trustworthy, and the EU regards natural gas as a climate-friendly investment. There's many issues, and one of, those, uh, one of the solutions to those issues is organizing climate protests, raising awareness, and really mobilizing people into these big, groups that can have systemic changes. So that's why I'm very excited to have our guest on for today. Today we're talking with a climate activist. Uh, she was uh, involved in organizing the two 2019 climate strikes in Vancouver, Canada. She's involved in many other activities revolving around climate justice. Welcome Rebecca Hamilton to the episode. Hello. Hi, um, great to meet you. Thanks for having me on. So our first question for you today is just to get you know, get to know you a bit better. Uh, we want to know how did you get into climate activism and how does that sort of coexist with your daily activities right now? Um, yeah, so I've, I've been involved in various forms of organizing for a number of years. Um, and I think there is a number of different uh, entry points for that. But when I think back to when I was a kid, I loved being outdoors. Um, and I grew up in um, BC. I grew up in Vancouver, which is uh, unceded territory of Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. Um, and being in the forest and being by the water was a really big part of my life. Um, and I felt most safe and most like myself when I was playing in the trees. Um, and, and so from a young age, I had this like felt sense that it was um, important to uh, have a society that maintained like a connection to this sense of life. Um, 
anyway, I was also though learning a lot about um, like war and um, desperate poverty in other parts of the world and in the communities that I lived in. Um, and it was really confusing to me as a kid that I got to run around in the park while kids in other parts of the world were running away from bombs and from floods. Um, and I felt very powerless um, and I wasn't sure what my role was. Um, I was always aware of climate change, I think as most people in generation are, um, but I just saw it as one of another litany of problems to be concerned about and that I couldn't really have power over as a young person. Um, but then I remember watching a documentary in school that um, showed images that focused on the current human impact of the climate crisis. It showed scenes of um, the way that climate change worsened floods and um, droughts were impacting people across the world. Um, and watching the destruction of communities flowing out of screen um, really hit me with a recognition that this was a central human rights problem um, and specifically we then learned about how the majority of emissions are produced not by the communities that um, are being primarily impacted by climate disasters right now um, which are mainly um, in the south and are mainly ones that are um, currently trying to rebuild from the impact of centuries of colonialism um, but instead, most emissions are produced by communities like mine um, in the global north. Uh, for example, Canada has the highest cumulative per capita emissions rate in the world. Um, and so I like trying to put all those things together in, in my head um, made me feel a deep sense of responsibility for doing whatever I could to um, dramatically reduce emissions in the community that I was a part of. And it's been into my life at various different ways at various points in my life. Um, I was involved in climate strike organizing and um, was involved in a couple of projects before that. And I, I think it's, uh, it, it provides a sense of, it creates a sense of like driving purpose in my life. Like I think I see a lot of other parts of my life um, existing in service to figuring out how I can uh, best put myself in, in service of this bigger movement. That's uh, really inspiring to hear that you were into it from a young age. How, what are you up to now uh, in terms of uh, staying active within the movement, movement rather? Um, do you have any projects? Are you involved in organizing any other climate strikes? Uh, how, does, how does that interest manifest to you today? Yeah. Um, so the main project that I'm working on right now is I'm part of a team of folks from across the country who've been involved in various parts of the climate movement over the years. Um, and we've, we're going through a process called front loading. So basically we've spent um, the past many months reflecting on where we think the climate movement in Canada has gotten to um, and what's needed in order to win the transformative solutions that are necessary. Um, and so we are designing, the, the process of front loading is to design what's called the DNA of a movement organization. So we're, we're, we're working on designing structure and story and strategy. And we are going to, um, in a couple of months, launch an organization and start organizing people, which is exciting. And okay. 
other than that, I'm in school. Okay. Uh, we also wanted to know a bit more about how does organizing a protest actually work? Could you tell us a bit more about like the Vancouver climate protest? Where did you start from? Like, did you need a gr big group of people to make this happen? Or how did this work exactly? So everything in organizing, everything in social movements happens in teams of people. And it happens with lots of people coming together and putting what they can into a collective goal. Um, so it looks like a lot of people sitting in a room um, who don't really know what to do and have never organized an action before, um, trying to think through the things that would be necessary. Um, and then uh, making decisions collectively um, and then taking on pieces of responsibility like publicizing and um, very like figuring out supplies and figuring out what are the key messages and doing outreach to media. Um, there's a lot of pieces in action organizing that go unseen. I think people often have this perspective that people will just show up spontaneously in the streets, but there's a huge amount of um, behind the scenes work to like mobilize people and connect people um, and make sure that everybody is able to stay safe. Um, and yeah, and it all happens with a lot of people uh, putting a lot of work in. So, I mean, now that we have a little bit of an idea of how the logistics of, of, of something like that works, uh, I think we should pivot to, to focusing on the issue of climate and climate justice more generally. Um, from your perspective as someone that's been active in organizing these social movements and organizing demonstrations and in organizing awareness campaigns, where do you see that the biggest uh, challenge um, or challenges um, what, where do you see that they lie within where we are right now to organizing a place, to a society that has actually moved forward in terms of climate justice? Yeah, um, I think the biggest challenge is that we're up against the richest industry that's it, the fossil fuel industry. Um, the fossil fuel companies are some of the biggest uh, on earth and have enormous amounts of wealth and power. And they are actively using that wealth and power in order to block and delay climate action. And they have been for 40 years. Um, so right now we're losing, like emissions are not dropping. We're losing against this massive enemy. Um, and for example, since 2009, globally fossil fuels as a proportion of energy consumption has not decreased. Um, so there's been years and years of um, calls for action and we really have not made significant progress, particularly Canada. And the only way that we're going to win against um, the massive, rich, and powerful enemy is the fossil fuel industry um, is if we are able to unite the vast majority of people. Um, and if we, like, what we have is numbers, power of people on our side. Um, but historically, um, the climate movement has has come mainly out of the environmental movement, um, which has often been white led and been by professional or upper class people, um, which means that it's has historically not been a movement that a majority of people see themselves in or feel safe. in. Um, and so if we're going to build the power that we need in order to take on the biggest enemy that humans have human society um, has created and faces, 
Um, we need to uh, change that dynamic um, and we need to build a true multiracial um, and cross-class movement by examining the ways, um, yeah, by, um, by changing the dynamics of the movement. So when you were talking about um, things like the, the, the effects of climate change being felt by the majority of people in the global south, um, it got me thinking in, in terms of what the future of the global south uh, looks like. Because a lot of these countries in the global south that were, you know, victims of colonization um, and had years and years of progress stripped away by exploitative colonial governments that didn't allow them to industrialize, didn't allow them to to grow economically at all because they were being stripped of their resources. How do we balance the need for these countries' um, economic growths um, and a lot of that growth historically being driven by unclean industries and ensuring that we also continue our path to decarbonization? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a big and complex question. Um, and I think what I focus on is thinking about what we in Canada um, and in the global north, what our responsibility is being a country that has been able to um, experience the benefits of many decades and centuries of um, fossil fueled economic growth and fossil fueled industrialization. Like we've gotten uh, those benefits and now we have a responsibility to decarbonize as fast as possible. Um, and I, I think that that's something that like, as a Canadian citizen, I feel like I have some power in influencing. Um, in terms of uh, decarbonization pathways in the other parts of the world, um, I, yeah, not, um, I think that there's a lot of uh, groups that are trying to figure that out. Um, and I guess one piece of it that I come back to is that I think that there needs to be real carbon, uh, real climate reparation payments um, and real wealth transfer between um, the global north and the global south, um, in, particularly as like as we see in um, Pakistan right now, there's massive catastrophic flood. 33 million people are being forced from their homes. That's worsened by the climate crisis. Um, which was like Canada contributed to significantly and in the process was able to make money off of um, the fossil fuels that uh, were, were burned to contribute to those emissions. And I think that like accounting for that wealth accumulation, there needs to be a return so that um, the countries that are now being destroyed by our actions um, are able to have the resources to rebuild. You were earlier talking about how most of our generation already knows about climate issues and climate change. However, it is still so hard to kind of mobilize people. It seems that still many people are not persuaded to, for example, go vegan or use public transport or just live greener. So I wanted to ask you, what kind of tools do you and like your friends and your organizations use to really mobilize people into taking action? Yeah, I think 
the biggest thing is we need a narrative of climate solutions that are focused on how climate solutions are also um, improving our lives in general, like especially right now. Um, we are in a massive crisis of inflation and so many people are like large proportion of, of us and of Canada um, is struggling to afford food and we need to talk about um, how climate solutions will um, also improve economic justice. Um, and I think that that's how we will like mobilize people to action. Um, and um, yeah, I, I think um, that people, like I think most people want to take action um, and largely lack the outlets to do so. And when asked, will have a role to play. Um, I think the biggest thing that we can do is talk to other people in our life about how we see the climate crisis um, and how we see solutions. And I think that the biggest and a really significant way that we can mobilize in our lives is um, by unionizing workplaces and taking part in um, building up the infrastructure for collective action so that we're able to uh, unite against um, so that we can have material power in order to win climate solutions in the future. So it seems like a lot of what your um, focus is on, and I think rightfully so in terms of the main challenges of climate change, is a lot of deeper systemic issues within Canada and within the global north. Um, speaking from a, a, a pragmatist perspective, how do we get these individual actions of people that care about climate change, but I mean, of course, like you mentioned, also care about inflation and climate change, they see as some abstract thing that sort of, you know, maybe going to harm them in the future. How do we get people, how do we get that narrative to shift? And how do we get these individual wishes to like, you know, obviously like imp improve the climate, become something urgent and top of mind. Um, and that actually does lead to systemic changes that um, actually matter. Yeah, I think it's about having the outlet. We're so, uh, there, there's so few spaces to truly participate in movement right now. Um, and the biggest way to get people into those systemic changes is, um, through like relationships and through community. Most people will join a movement because their friends have asked them to, like you show up to a meeting because a friend has asked to and then you stay because of the relationships that you have um and so it's uh i think we need to be building out the spaces in which that can occur more significantly uh we don't know also what you want to do in the future maybe you want to go into politics maybe you want to stay in activism uh but we thought it would be interesting to ask you if you were for example the prime minister of canada what kind of changes would you implement? Or do you think rather that we do need democratically made decisions, for example, and sort of wait a long time for change to happen in the climate sphere? Yeah, I think that what the government should do, um, my perspective of what the government should do is really shaped by um, someone named Seth Klein wrote a book called A Good War where he examines the actions that the government of Canada took to respond to the threat of fascism in World War II, 
um, and the way that we completely transformed our economy to uh, support the war effort and in a really short amount of time years and do something similar now. I think we need like a mass government intervention. Um, we need every department of government to be considering how they're contributing to the climate mobilization and to the transition off of fossil fuels. We need programs like um, building enough heat pumps to replace the heating, the gas powered heating systems that exist in almost every building in this country. We need mass job programs so that anybody can have a job transforming our infrastructure um, off of fossil fuels. And we need people working on restoring um, ecosystems. There's so much work needs to be done. Um, and to get there, we need government to act like we're in an emergency. All right. Thank you so much for agreeing to join us, Becca. I know you're super busy. Uh, it was a really great conversation. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate hearing your perspective. Thank you so much. That is a wrap of episode eight, guys. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you got some new insight and now know how to organize your own protest about whatever you're passionate about. And we will see you all next week. As always, I'm going to tell you, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and TikTok. We're posting clips of our own exclusive content that you can't get through the podcast as well as some clips uh, from our podcast. Share, tell your friends about us, and we'll see you next week for episode nine. Bye.